right, good morning, guys. All right, so I'm, I'm a virgin here, right? My first time to ever do the intro. <laughs> Jeff gave me one minute. So all I got is a couple things. Number one, welcome. We're glad you're here. And that's all I got. Dude, that's pretty good. Do I get to pray too? Uh, you're in. You're up. Woo! All right. Here we go, guys. Y'all nope. get ready. Buckle nope. up. Buckle nope. up. No Presbyterian prayers. You know, those are long. Do a Baptist prayer, Mark. Just those are short. That's what we need. Dear Jesus, God is great. God is good. All right. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And our brokenness and our weeping and our crying and our pride and ego and our own narcissism. We love you. Father, forgive us where we failed you. Father, be with those, be with Phil. Lord knows what part of the world he's in today. Be with Joe and all the other gentlemen, Father. We're thankful for Ceasefire. We're thankful for the family of Ceasefire, Father, for providing all of this that we may gather before you in this praise and worship time. Father, we're just grateful. We're thankful. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do I get to good, steal too? Good job. <laughs> You're hired. I'm hired. Yeah, Joe's fired. That's what happens when you don't show up. You got to be here. Uh, yeah, Jeff Stout comes in and says, hey, man, it's time to start. I said, man, where's Joe? I don't know. I said, where's Ben? I don't know. I'm like, we, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, we can't start. Um, but we, yeah, we just grab you and get you to do the intro like we did Mark. It's just great. You may be up, you may be up next week. Be be prepared. I'm multitasking. I'm on lights. Oh, good. Oh, and and he's doing lights. Man, it's just yeah. We'll find you a place to serve, right? Uh, yeah, we won't put you. We won't put you in the parking lot ministry. <laughs> If your pastor ever asks you to serve in the parking lot ministry, you might you might kind of want to question him about that. Like, am I capable of maybe? Do you think I'm not capable of more than that? I don't know. You might want to you might want to dig into that a little bit. Um, so, guys, uh, last week uh, we talked about trauma as a tool for transformation. And uh, I don't know if it was just so good uh, that we decided we're going to uh, recycle that or if it was just a short week and I didn't have time to do another handout. So it could go either way. But I think it was actually pretty good. And there was a lot in that handout. And so Ben and I talked, and um, of course, Phil is still out. You know, Phil is celebrating his 40th wedding anniversary, and it, he's been gone for like, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks or something. So evidently, something is still working. I mean, the, the, the marriage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's coming back or not, but yeah, but I guess Ben and I'll just keep filling in until further notice. I think he's supposed to be back actually uh, today sometime. Um, so um, we're just going to continue with the, the trauma as a tool for transformation and kind of how that works in all of our lives. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, when we use psychobabble words, it is, um, it's, I, I just always laugh because, you know, all this stuff that we talk about in psychobabble is actually in the Bible, right? Let me just read you a list of kind of the Bible words and how we would what we would call that in psychobabble world, right? Just like trauma. I mean, that's why we titled this "Into the Wilderness." I mean, that's a. I mean, trauma is that, right? It's a wilderness experience. Um, you know, the way that we define trauma is simply any negative life event that's coupled with a sense of helplessness. And these wilderness experiences that we all have, we feel abandoned. Um, maybe it's by parents uh, in some way, shape, or form, emotionally or relationally. Uh, maybe it's certainly by God. You know, If you haven't had an experience with God where you're questioning even his goodness, then your faith is probably pretty darn shallow 
We all have to go through that. We're going to talk about that today. So I'm just going to do the kind of the biblical doctrine and then the therapy words and just kind of a short list. The idea of election, right? Okay. Now that's controversial and some of the free will versus election. I always say I'm a free will electionist. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I just, I always use my father as an example. Um, I mean, he was in church with my stepmother since the day they got married and he died at 94. And, I mean, he, he wasn't like, it's kind of one of those things you figure out going to, just standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Um, my dad was in church, but I'd be hard pressed uh, to see fruit of a Christian journey of some kind, right? So I, I'm like, I, I, it's hard to believe that you could hear that, be in that for that length of time, and it just have zero effect. So in some ways, I'm kind of an electionist, but I also believe it's also a choice. So I can go either way. Uh, maybe I'm by. I guess that's popular today. Uh, election would be the biblical doctrine. And then in therapy world, we just call that worth, right? God chooses you. You're chosen. You're worthy. Uh, calling. Calling would be truth, right? God calls us. He reveals his truth to us. Uh, the biblical word regeneration or the doctrine would be new beginning, right? In Cycle Bible, we talk about every day is a you know, brand new start to your life. All the, all the little sayings. Conversion is, is change. Repentance is letting go, right? I've got to let go of whatever that thing is. I've got to turn and I've got to change. Faith is trust. Adoption, it's belonging. It's one of the basic desires of every human heart to be included, to be chosen, to belong. Justification, that's simply acceptance. We're justified by God, by Jesus and what he did. Sanctification. It's the growth process. I mean, when we come to Jesus, it's not a one and done, right? We better be on the growth path. And if you're not on the growth path, you might want to examine that because that's what we're called to do. And then the idea of glorification is maturing. And that's, that's the call for all of us, to mature, maturity as a believer. And that's the growth path. So as we talk about the wilderness and we talk about trauma, these are those life experiences that happen to all of us. And we've got to get to that place in our lives where, <laughs> I mean, we all have to come to that place where Jesus actually becomes real and we realize that he is with us come hell or high water abandonment jesus said that he would never leave us nor forsake us the word forsake literally means abandon i believe our primal fear as human beings is being abandoned a baby instinctively knows if it is abandoned it will die so our primal fear is a fear of abandonment. And then that begins to play out relationally and emotionally. And when we perceive the threat, hmm, our fear center in the brain kicks in. Survival instinct. It's not just I've got to run from the lion in the jungle. I perceive a relational threat. Everything in me begins to rise up. It's the way all this works. So the song we're just going to play, we played it last week. I think it's a pretty good song. So we're going to play it again. Um, in Christ alone. I mean, we've got to have others in our lives. 
but foundationally until we get this part of our life anchored in, rooted in, grounded in, um, even being very connected, um, we're still going to struggle with different aspects of our life in Christ alone. Oh, I, well, Jeff, I guess we'll just do I the storm <laughs> into the wilderness. I like it. Okay, listen to the song. And Ben's going to come up and join me. <laughs> no. Good job, Jeff. What is switch that over? <laughs> In Christ alone. Welcome, Ben Derek. Glad you were here. Here to save this mess. <laughs> please, please do. I was I was having a panic attack. <laughs> like, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to just like wear these guys out for you know 45 minutes there you or go. something. Yeah. Yeah. I always, you know, I Phil and I are known as truth and grace. Yeah, Phil's grace and I'm truth. Okay. Yeah, we have to balance each other out. I feel more like a first responder <laughs> when I'm sitting next to you, like a firefighter. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do damage. Control. You keep lighting them, and I keep putting them out. I know. That's, it's just. Well, yeah, it takes a village, right? To <laughs> really, raise, to especially raise, for you. To raise an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. God help me. God pray for my wife always, please. <laughs> um, so this idea of. Uh, uh, trauma and uh, kind of the biblical piece and how this plays out. Um, man, I just, you know, we, on the handout, um, we, we talked about, or it was, I think I just, we touched on it last week, uh, but George Barna's book, Maximum Faith, where he kind of details out the uh, Christian journey 
um, is uh, is just pretty interesting. Uh, George Barna uh, is the founder of the Barna Research Group. And the great thing about all of his work, uh, his books, is it comes straight from research, right? It's not just, he's not just pulling this out of the air. Uh, and he did a uh, kind of this research study on the um, kind of the journey of the Christian faith. And he came up with, out of that research, uh, what he called the 10 stops uh, on the Christian maturity journey. And it's pretty interesting um, how those play out. Uh, because most people stop at what he calls, it's stop number five, a commitment to faith activities. Um, it's what I guess I would call, we would call churchianity. It's just, I'm kind of going through the motions. You know, I, I, I go to church, I'm involved a little bit, and maybe a lot. And, and that's just about the depth of my faith. And, and that was the, vast majority of Christians uh, from number five back down to number one. Um, that's where I, I think it was, I don't have the percentages on here. Um, uh, okay, yeah, dude, nearly 90% of Americans are stuck at one of the first five stops and are not experiencing the other five stops that bring maturity. One of those is that experience of personal brokenness and then the other one a prolonged period of spiritual discontent kind of the wilderness experience and on some i mean we have to go through that in this process of maturity and god takes us through things he allows these things into our life to mature us to transform us that's why we title this Trauma is a tool for transformation. The wilderness experience is part of the journey. Yeah, I think the question that comes up for me and where we left off last week, it's a, a question I think we as men, we should be asking ourselves more is how did we get here? Mm. I mean, we could probably spend a whole morning on that, <laughs> um, thinking how, what things were in place that got us to here? You know, I, I use this all the time, but if I've got a, a leak under my sink, it would be possible for me to think that it's happening at the base and fix the base all day when the leak is actually an O-ring that's gone bad at the top. So to think, all right, what are the things that have been in place here that have gotten me where I am in my life? So maybe you're in that spot this morning and you don't need all this cognitive heady stuff. Just jot that down in your phone or your journal and think about that today. What, what got me here, what got us here? I think it's a combination of, of three things as we discussed kind of in a roundabout way last week. We have an incorrect view of suffering uh, mm. as Americans and as American Christians, we just have a really incorrect view. We spent a lot of time walking around that. I buried my dog last week. That was kind of embarrassing to go back and listen to. Uh, <laughs> we have an incorrect view of suffering, and uh, which by the way, what a man drives doesn't make him who he is. I just need to say that in front of all these people. Well, I drove a CRV. It was a CRV. You can stick it, all right? <laughs> um, we, 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 I did, I did try to take his man card, but yeah. I don't know. I think he, in he front does, of, a, of he does shaming me in front of a hundred other men. He, that's pretty he, much taking my man card. He does cross stitch. Yeah. So I, I couldn't take his man card. So we have an incorrect view of suffering. Uh, that's I mean, crossfit. Yeah, so. that's number one. Uh, there's a combination, I think, of three things. If I were to sit with any man, not even knowing your story, I could probably peg you because mm. this is so similar across all of our lives. Incorrect view of suffering. We have an absence of relationship and we have the presence of false religion. Those three things in combination have gotten us here. Wait, wait. I would encourage you to write these down, think about these, chew on these, say those again. Yeah, these aren't original to me. They're actually, they, they're up to Richard no, no, Rohr, no, so no, sorry. You got to right. learn from Phil. Plagiarism. Yeah. yeah, learn from Phil. All right, absent, we have a uh, an incorrect view of suffering, all right? We can't say something's wrong without immediately beginning to think something's wrong with me. That's That's what we do, and it blocks all of our progress for the wilderness. Maybe there's something right with you. And God is initiating you by dragging you like a dead body through the wilderness to bring you back to life 
to give you a sense of purpose because you need to be able to man your territory for the rest of your story. And you can't do that before some things and you die. Yeah. All right. So we have an incorrect view of suffering. Then we have an absence of relationship. When's the last time you knocked on your buddy's door and said, hey, can Johnny come out to play? <laughs> Where does that go? Why do we stop seeking out relationship? So many of us do. And I would propose that we go into Sunday morning with that exact same attitude, hands in our pockets, gripping our cups of coffee like they're going to run away, suffering through a service, and then getting back into our car and asking our wives what we're supposed to think about that. It's a typical Sunday morning. So we have an absence. Oh, it's also been, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See you next Sunday. Yeah. For those of you that actually have been in therapy and have seen the feelings wheel, mm. I saw this this past week. It was awesome all sorts of feelings, but there's also a Christian feelings wheel. It's, it looks exactly the same, but every quadrant says, I'm fine. <laughs> fine. How are you feeling? I'm fine. Oh, I'm in the red. That means I'm fine, right? Yeah. All right. So Feelings in need of expression. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, those two are big, all right? And, and this could, we could have like a man camp, a 90-day man camp and talk about all these things. It's big. And what, and what we're going to talk about, Richard Rohr is big today, too. But then we have the presence of false religion. What false religion does is hand us rituals for our small self. That's what false religion does. It doesn't present us with an encounter with the real Jesus, the Jesus we read about in the Bible. It's a Jesus has been institutionalized uh, predominantly from men on stage who are mostly concerned about self-preservation. I've been there for a decade. There are some things yeah, that I can, just can't you say. You can legitimately say it because yeah. you've been there. I'm well, probably yeah. illegitimate. When the I holy say. version of that is there's a line that I just probably shouldn't cross in this environment giving a speech. The unholy version of that is if I say the wrong thing and the wrong six families leave this institution, then I've got to go find another institution. We just got a bad system. Unless we get some brave people in there that are willing to say some things out and have some men come alongside them. Most pastors are worried because they're not relationally connected, that if they get out there and say the brave things, they're going to be not chosen. That's a really big driving factor. So religion yeah. has a big part to play in this. And if you notice, what do people get really defensive over? Even people that don't follow Jesus very well, they'll fight over the church, right? We get really defensive about religion and it's caused most of us as Christian men to kind of back up and just participate in the charade like the emperor's got clothes on. We don't want to call it out for what it is because we're worried and I've even had this worry. We'll be shunned from the Christian community if we say things about the church that are negative. Well, according to all the reports that are coming out that the world is seeing, by the way, and the church and people are leaving the church in droves, they have been forever. A lot of that is because grown men inside the church haven't said, wait a minute. Mm. Wait a minute. So we have an incorrect view of suffering. We're disconnected relationally, and we've replaced Jesus Christ with a false religion. That's how we are where we are. So we've got to try to fix all three of those things. It's going to be a gigantic task, and it may take us the rest of our lives, and our sons and daughters are probably going to have to pick up the baton. But thank God this work didn't just start, especially in this area. It's been going on. Yeah, there, there, there really is uh, kind of this movement of God of, I would just say men that are part of our men's community that are beginning to like certainly uh, become aware, uh, beginning to understand this, get this, that, you know, it's just pretty simple. You know, life is meant to be lived, uh, connected, uh, certainly connected with God, uh, connected with yourself, that's important, and connected with others. I mean, it's pretty darn simple. Um, I think I mentioned last week, you know, Ben kind of talked me into finally watching The Chosen. I was so resistant because I thought it was going to be another cheesy, lame Christian movie something. There's a lot of those. But I actually finished it last night, and it is absolutely, I, I told Eve, I said, I can't believe how much I actually enjoyed watching this. Uh, and for me to say that uh, around something like that, uh, I, I'd encourage you to go watch it. Uh, it's pretty darn real. I think, I think it's the real Jesus, uh, not the church Jesus, not the religious Jesus, uh, 
not the caricature of Jesus, but I think it, they do a great job of just portraying the real Jesus. You know, we got it on the handout, you know, just kind of tying in with what Richard Rohr says. Um, there are no religious crutches for us to lean on in the desert, no religious activities in which to hide our true condition. You know, that's one thing you have to realize. So much of church um, is kind of a hiding place, right? I mean, I sit with people all the time, and like, there's things that they're not about to go talk about in Sunday school uh, that they're talking about in my office. And I'm not saying that's the place to do it, but certainly in some way, it's an atmosphere where you do not feel very safe in order to be able to share whatever's really going on in your life. Did a retreat a few years ago, and uh, one of the guys that's been part of our men's community, he was just kind of in a place struggling with God. You know, we all go through that. Um, and he was just in that place. And uh, this retreat, uh, it was uh, uh, some pastors and uh, some church leaders and we kind of had a meeting before the meeting and uh, just kind of like prayer. And, and then we're just, yeah, somebody said, you know, how, how are things going in your life or something? Well, this guy wasn't all churched up. He didn't grow up in church. <laughs> and he just like says, man, I just, I'm really struggling with the whole God thing right now. <laughs> If you you would have thought that he just jumped up on the table and kind of whipped it out and took a leak or something. I don't know. I could say something worse, but I'll be kind of. I do appreciate that imagery. I guess. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I mean, you you would have thought he just went and slapped all their mothers. I don't know. It was bad, and I'm just sitting there going. I said, dude. I, I told him later. I said, dude, you you're either just really brave or really stupid, right? Because that's what you get. And what we get is judgment. There are things that kill relationship, kill intimacy, um, not sex, intimacy, three things, secrets, silence, and judgment. Judgment will just shut it all down. I'm not gonna say whatever I feel like I need to say if I'm gonna be judged. All of us. We're not about to do that. We're just going to reel that back in, kind of get up in our head and try to figure it out and die relationally and emotionally. Yeah, uh, Richard, um, I would encourage you to get this book. I know it's been discussed here, but Adam's Return. And I think it's a good exercise for us um, as men to read. So let me just put that challenge out there. But also to understand that Richard doesn't have... Well, you mean with does it come with crayon <laughs> yeah like they're the color in between the dude when our men's group we when we figure out that the red crayons taste better than the blue ones <laughs> we call that growth there you go yeah there you go yeah well and i also don't mean like uh reading a book to show up at a christian bible study so you can prove that you read the book like it's sixth grade i'll take it yeah i'm, I'm talking about reading to develop and grow as a man this book adam's return is going to decode a lot of your religious experience the reason I uh, say it's a good exercise is because I don't agree with everything that Richard Rohr says. Amen. There are places where I'm like, uh, Richard, you got it wrong there. Now, the exercise is that doesn't mean that I throw this book away. It means that I take what I think he's got correct about God and I incorporate that in my life and I leave the rest. That's been going on throughout human history. We've been placed in a paradigm where we believe we have to believe everything in, that a man says or we can't believe anything that a man says. Where's that getting us, right? So I would encourage you to pick up this book by Richard Rohr. He says a, a lot of awesome stuff. He's uh, pretty difficult on the church, which I like about him. And uh, I like it because he's difficult on the American church, the Western version of the church. So just to turn down your sensitivity about, because you're probably thinking about your home church as, as, as we say things about the church, I would just encourage you to flip through your Bible and try to find something that is descriptive of where you go every Sunday. Just try to find it. What we experience is a Western expression, a modern Western expression of the church. 
But when we start talking about it, people throw me phrases like, hey, man, that's the bride of Christ. I'm like, is it? Is it? Go back in the book. I mean, where, where do we see this? Where, where do we see the programs and the millions of dollars worth of debt? Where do we see that in the Bible? So we've got to start being very descriptive when we start talking about the church, what we mean to try to make it better. What we're talking about to me is the Western church, because I would propose to you today, the Western church is part of the problem. Everybody okay so far? <laughs> I don't know. So sometimes people get really uh, oh, flooded oui. about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to the stuff that Richard says, but uh, in, in, in a formula. But do you mind if I read this? I, I think I love it. Okay. Go for it. If religion does not introduce you to who you already are hidden in God, that's Colossians 3. It's a book in the Bible. Then religion is a part of the problem and not part of the solution. In that case, it keeps you trapped in both your illusion and your guilt. Oh, my gosh. Guilty people give money to calm down that guilt, don't they? While foolishly calling that good news, which it clearly isn't, it keeps you codependent on the fixtures of religion instead of encouraging you to joyously draw from the abundant fountain of God. Healthy spirituality, this is the big part. Healthy spirituality leads you back to the garden, which is the archetypal image of lovemaking, intimacy, and fertility, but always through another garden, Gethsemane. Hmm. So there's something for you to think about as, as a man today, this week. Our religious experience should be causing us to get back to the garden through the garden. Is your church helping you do that? Is your religious community helping you do that? Is it reminding you of both those stories? Do you just hear about the crucifixion once a year? Do you just hear about the struggle of Jesus to obey his father once a year. When's the last time you heard something about the garden that wasn't about your sinful nature, but was comprehensive? The origin story. We plug in religion and often what we mean is American institutionalism. We call that our faith base and it's killing us. It's killing us. You know, our churches are full of women for a reason. It's the feminization of the culture and the church. It's just a reality. Guys, we're not like, you know, bashing. Um, uh, I, would, I would call Ben and I both insiders, right? Uh, I always say the only way you're going to change it is throwing rocks through the stained glass windows from the inside, not the outside. You got to be a part and you got to be talking about the people that are, I mean, they have the vehicle, um, right? People are gathering, people are coming. They're seeking something more, and we're just giving them milk at best. It's not maturity. You know, this idea of like from garden to garden is, is really the hero's journey. In, in an archetype of a, a metaphor, you know, all of us are on that journey. I mean, all the great movies that we all love as men, you know, Braveheart, Gladiator, Lord of the Rings, any of the great epic movies. It's the hero's journey. And the, the ultimate archetype of that is Jesus. That's why it resonates so much with us. And, you know, the hero is on a mission. He, he starts out as kind of an orphan. He's kind of on his own in some way. And, and he's, he's like a victim. Uh, I'm not saying Jesus was a victim, but in, in the journey, certainly Jesus started out that way, right? And then, he gets called, has a purpose, he has a mission, and then he gathers his team. I mean, every just think about all the great movies. There's a reason why you love those movies. I can watch those movies anytime they come on. But it resonates with our soul. It's the God stamp in us. And we're all heroes on a mission. It's just sometimes we're not aware of it, and we don't know it. We're just wandering around trying to figure something out. You know, oftentimes, I mean, I, in counseling, I'm not just always doing group hugs and asking, how do you feel about that? Can't confirm. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, oftentimes, I mean, one of the critical questions is like, you know, tell me about your spiritual life. Guess what answer I get most? 
Bingo. Where I go to, to church. church, or used to go to church, or would go to church if I went to church. And I'm like, I, dude, that, I, could, I don't care. <laughs> Tell me about your spiritual life. Tell me about your relationship with God. How's that working? Yeah, we've got to start rethinking this stuff because all we got to do is look around. I always say it, I can drive by, I don't know, 12, 15 churches on my way to work, 15-minute drive. And if I go a certain way, not too far out of my way, yeah, I get 12 churches. I've done it, counted, just for fun. Mm -hmm. Kind of sick, by the way. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm twisted. You should see somebody about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need some help. Yeah. But it's just like, what are we doing? Look at our culture. Look at what's going on. I mean, whatever we're doing, I'm not sure what it is, but it ain't working. Something needs to change. It's our best efforts that have gotten us here. Mm. And we would not remove the power of the Holy Spirit or the guidance of God or the presence of Jesus over any of that. Uh, but if, if you look at the life of Jesus related to those three things we launched into this morning, he's constantly correcting those things. He's constantly correcting the view of suffering. They looked at Jesus and said, oh, you're here to take care of the Romans. She's like, no, I've got a much bigger vision here. And they, they couldn't understand that. I mean, they're like us. Right? Yeah. They wanted to make Jesus the, the, the new Caesar. Oh, this is, he's going to be royalty apart from And Jesus says, no, I'm going to take the rejected, dejected degenerates. I'm going to pull them around me, and they're going to be transformed, not through my teaching necessarily, through my relationship. I'm going to be in relationship with them over a long period of time. And in so doing, after I leave, they will still keep this mission going. Why? Because they were connected relationally. Not because they went through a four-week series at the First Baptist Jerusalem. It was relationship, all right? So they're relationally connected, and the, the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke on earth were not directed to the whores and the drunks. It's directed towards the religious, the professionally religious. That information may strike you as odd. My follow-up question to that is, why does that strike you as odd? It's right there in the Bible over and over and over again jesus is doing this corrective work and that's what we're trying to to join in because i believe the way that our culture is going to transform has to happen more than just standing in line casting a vote it's got to be a groundswell of grown men who have been initiated and validated enough to stand alongside to stand alongside each other to stand alongside the broken of course, we'll keep doing the sermons. We've got to learn more about the Bible. I think that's a great thing. But if that's the only thing, if it's only cognitive, then we've departed from the methodology of Jesus. I think that's the problem. Well, obviously, we need another Bible translation. There's just not enough of those out there, right? <laughs> Holy yeah, cow. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and we have a lot of people teaching it. And look, I go, I go to church every week, right? Pay, currently paid to be there, but I go to church every week. My parents drug me to church every week. I don't know where I'd be without it, but I do know where I am because of it. And I can hold those two things at the same time. I don't know where I'd be without it, but I do know where I am emotionally and spiritually because of it in some ways, because of the emphasis that it carries. What would it be like if in your church, whatever church it is, and we have a lot of different ones represented here, if we were to take um, these three things seriously that Jesus was trying to correct. Would you be able to stay there? Or would you have to join a different community? That's, that's a big question. So um, th this isn't just about the church. What it's really about is our journey, our specific masculine journey, and being able to put together that a lot of the reason that we are where we are is because we had the, the greatest generation was also the quietest generation. Silent. Silent. Now here we are. We've got a, a bunch of grown men that weren't initiated or validated. We were institutionalized. And we're having trouble keeping that going because we're seeing the effects of that. It just it just didn't work. And here we are. Yeah, it's just the it's kind of the you know sins of the fathers. I mean that what that word really means is the dysfunctional behaviors 
of the fathers are passed on to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, forever generations until somebody comes along and decides, I'm going to do life different, right? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, and when you grow up in this kind of dysfunctional, disengaged, disattuned family system that is generational, because it just didn't start with your father, uh, it, it goes back, it's ingrained in our DNA. That's why changing this stuff is so hard. Mm. Because it's conditioned, it's patterned, it's modeled. We live it, breathe it, and we become it. And then we get the call, right? And now I've got to go on a journey. I've got to begin to transform that trauma. And, you know, the trauma is like these big T traumas I got shot at, you know, my house burned down with, you know, I, I, almost burned to death. You know, those are big T's. Parents divorcing is a big T trauma. The little T traumas are the ones that it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, right? And that's a dad who was around but not around. Uh, that's a, you know, divorced dad, drunk dad, gone dad, um, sports dad. <laughs> that's all he cared about was how you play. I mean, they, again, there's, there's lots of dads very few fathers, I've, I've met very few guys along the way who's, who had fathers, a mentor, a guide, a coach. Like, son, let me tell you what it means to really love a woman. Let me tell you what, like, how to deal with these emotions that you have. Let me help you with that. I've struggled with that in my own life, but boy, I, I want to pass this on to you. Let me tell you about sex, son. Let me tell you how that works. <laughs> that, that, that part doesn't exist. I mean, the best I've ever heard is, you know, mom and dad gave me a book or something, maybe. That's rare, though. Silence around sex is neglect. There's just all kinds of ways this stuff plays out. And just, you know, we talked about Jonah. Uh, it, you know, Jonah, of course, goes from victim to hero. And then he goes back to victim, <laughs> right? I mean, I love Jonah. He does the deal, goes to Nineveh. He just says, good morning. And everybody, you know, bows the knee to God. And then he's pissed. Uh, it, it, the end of Jonah is so classic. I, I just so identify with Jonah. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were, you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. <laughs> what a great, like, that's real. I love that. He's pissed because God is just full of grace and mercy. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of pastors I've known over the years. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Hey, here. Here's your handout. Get you go off back. your soapbox. Yeah, yeah. Go back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is an interesting response, though. What we would say is that highlights for us that that was something that Jonah had not been able to receive himself. Mm. And he was frustrated that God was giving it to other people. Well, it's not a God issue. It's a Jonah issue. Totally. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So in a lot of ways, we could say it's not a church issue. It's an us issue. Mm -hmm. It's an us issue. Um, so there are things that we haven't been told. We haven't been initiated in certain ways. That's a, so we, let's take the spotlight off the church for a moment. We haven't been initiated in, in uh, certain things. And Richard breaks those down. I love this. It's a very masculine list. It's like, here, dude, here are five things mm. that you absolutely must know. And he spends a whole book saying it if you're interested in reading that. But there are five things that you have to know to orient yourself correctly towards God and towards life. Yeah, for, for a boy to become a man, five things. And this comes from his study of tribal initiation rites. He wouldn't observe uh, these tribal rituals that we don't have in Western culture. It's one reason uh, our culture is suffering a great deal uh, with young men. Well, 
young boys at best because there's no initiation from boyhood to manhood, no symbolism, no movement from immaturity to maturity. And they just stay in this adolescent state. I mean, it's a sad thing to see a, you know, a 50 year old, 15 year old. I mean, he may be chronologically 50, but emotionally he's about 12. He's not even a teenager. And that's what we're up against. In these initiation rituals, uh, there were five themes that came out of his observance of just watching the process. Number one, life is hard. Jesus told us that. Period. I yeah. I was life waiting for hard. the rest of that sentence. Well, yeah, life, life is, is hard. hard. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I would just put, you know, the word reality out next to that. Reality, you know, I mean, good mental, emotional, spiritual relational health lives in reality. You got to live in reality in order to like face things that you need to face. There may be things in your marriage that you need to come to grips with and you may need to confront. Well, I know it is if you're married to a woman, right? They are different creatures. They are different species. The way they talk to us, I always say, man, a woman, woman doesn't know how to act right. If you've got one, if you had one for any length of time, you figured that out. Us men don't either. We act, we act wrong in different ways. Mm. But man, the things that they will just kind of, we think everything's good. <laughs> so so many couples that like we just kind of check in at the beginning of the session that. It was so funny. The guy will always like, we're just like, okay, what, what, what's been a high? What's been a low? And the husband always looks at his wife. <laughs> I think, I think we're good, right? <laughs> we're good. We're good. I don't know. You, okay. t- you tell me. <laughs> well, that's so true. God, it's so real. But we got to live in reality. Um, and then the next one, uh, you're not that important, right? And that's humility. Um, life's not all about you. The biblical term there would be sacrifice. That's what love is. (laughs) Number four, you're not in control. God is. That's called trust. (laughs) And then the last one, you are going to die. Man, in our world today, you would think everybody's gonna live forever and we gotta protect everybody from death and you better wear a mask and I don't know, whatever. I mean, I I may die from COVID, I don't know. I may get run over by a beer truck, walking, well, they don't deliver beer to ceasefire. So I think I'm okay, maybe it's a Coca-Cola truck. Who knows, you know, but one certain fact, (laughs) you're gonna die. And that's faith. And we got to live by faith, not fear. In order for a boy to become a man, those five things have to be in place. So and you, there's a lot too, though. Yeah, obviously. But if you think about just the paradigm that you grew up in, and maybe even that you're living in now, um, this would be a typical conversation that, that I would have with another man. And that I, sometimes I'm receiving that conversation sometimes i'm delivering that conversation why is this so difficult i'm more important than this and i know god's got a calling on my life that's it's all about you so here's what i'm going to do to take control and if i can do this then i can retire and be comfortable and have a long and happy life i can delay death does that sound familiar that's why this stuff feels so much like truth because it's cutting against the grain of things that we've even learned to say that we hate saying. We're just like, yeah, I know, man, it is hard. I know, have you heard of the story about what, what my wife did? Well, let me tell you what my wife did. Yeah, this is so hard. I'm raising sons and, you know, my kid took the dirty dishes and put it in the dirty laundry the other day. I know, they're so stupid, right? We just get caught in these conversations. I love seeing with a couple or talk to a kid and they've got like six kids or something. And they're they're all like from fourteen down to eight, 
and they're talking about, oh gosh, it's just so stressful. Oh, I don't know how we could do it. How can we do this? And, we can, and they're only involved in that. We're, we're like, oh, let's look at them. You, you chose hard. I mean, they didn't just like fall out of the womb. I mean, there were choices made. Having six kids in today's world, that ain't gonna be easy. You chose hard. Like, that explains a lot, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Even marriage, you chose hard. Linking up with the church, you chose hard. <laughs> yeah, right? you, yes. you chose hard. Life is hard. So here's a, a little to back up a little bit because this sort of stuff, I, I'm just gonna warn you, this sort of stuff is so truthful, it takes a minute to sink in. And you have fight or flight going on probably internally right now. Like, I don't know how true that is. Mm -hmm. Just sit with that for a minute. That's okay. A bigger point here is that we have today, we're just point, We're just doing a lot of truth telling uh, today. I don't know. It's like, it happens when I, anyway. Um, we have, have that effect. Yeah, you have that effect. This, this truth is true though. So we can be passionate about this truth and, and less apologetic and more passionate. Something you'll find in these pages is a proposal that we are overmothered and underfathered in our society today. It isn't just an absence of fathers. And thank God for a lot of the women moving in trying to trying to fill in that gap, but it's caused a lot of problems too. There's such thing as a mother wound. We talk about the father wound all mm. the time. Such thing as a mother wound. We are overmothered and underfathered. As a result, we end up adopting spouses as men taking on spouses agreeing to have spouses and we're really looking for a younger version of our mother mm. let that disturb you for a moment okay then we have women who are looking for safe men that are risk averse recipe for disaster nice sweet men mm -hmm. yeah yeah Look, and, I, and I'm really glad that at some points in my life, my mother got in the way of my father because he was really trying to tell me that life was hard and I hated it. And I was like, hey, mom, I called her in from the bullpen, like get in between this man and me, right? But I'm yeah. thankful that there are times that she didn't. Yeah, absolutely. We she need didn't. that. We need it, yeah. So just a question to throw over your story and over your life. Have I been overmothered and underfathered? Is that why I find Jesus so repulsive in some ways? Or do I just identify with Jesus and his therapy lamp? Yes. Yeah. That's a problem. The comforting Jesus, the fourth stanza of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's out there. Mm -hmm. He's great medicine. But it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Like, this stuff's the truth. Jesus said this stuff. He told us this. Life's going to be hard. You're really not that important. You're important to me, but you're not that important. Life isn't all about you. Jesus lived all this stuff out. Mm. Said, yeah, I wasn't, I was important. I took a step down to earth, lived this life. It's not about me. I'm going to that garden of Gethsemane to get everyone else back to the garden. Jesus never left it, right? He, he gave up control. He struggled with it. Struggled with it, but he gave up control. I don't mm -hmm. want to do this. That's guess like the, the new Ben translation. Yeah. Jesus in the garden. He's like, hey, God, are you sure? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, right? He gives up control. And then what does he do? He dies. He dies. And he says as he's dying, let me get one thing straight. That's a southern Jesus. <laughs> let me get one thing straight. You didn't kill me. I gave this up, gave it up. I'm giving my spirit up. That's Jesus taking an active, not a passive role, an active role in his death. He Man. chose. He chose it. Love yeah. is a choice. Yeah, yeah. So these things, the things that we're talking about today, I would just encourage you, please, please, do not let these things be written down in your journal and stay there for the rest of your story. This is transformative stuff because it's so corrective and it would allow it would allow you to take your feet as a man and to walk into your church this weekend feeling differently about the place because you realize, hey, if I start participating in this in a masculine way, there are other people here that will benefit. I'm, we're not asking you to walk out of church and never go back. I want you to walk in church, not the same person that you were last Sunday. 
that's going to make a huge difference. And you're going to see a transformation even in your pastor. When he's when I go to my church on the weekends and I see those men sitting out there that I know are on the journey, it empowers me mm. because I know it's going to change things. It is changing things. Our number is getting smaller. It has for all the things we talked about this yesterday in my session. Our number is getting smaller, but when I look out there, I see men and women that are growing. They're growing because they're getting this stuff. And if just this number of men in this room got this stuff, your companies would change, your families would change, your churches would change, your level of joy in your life would change, your sense of validation would change, everything would change. The deeper you understand these things, the more you understand God, the more purposeful your story is going to feel from this until your final day, until the Coke truck runs you over, which the way you talk about the church may actually be today for you. It could happen. Yeah, it could There's happen. no doubt. Yeah. Probably some pastor will be driving. Like, yeah, well, whatever it takes. <laughs> so, guys, um, I just like, you know, Jesus, Jesus did it with 12. There's a lot more than that in this room. If we really begin to get this stuff, and it really takes hold, I don't know what could happen right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. It's already happening. Lots of men are on the same page, moving in the same direction. I think God has, has lit a fire, um, and we need to carry that forward, keep that fire burning and set it ablaze and change the way things are going yeah. in our culture. It's possible. The Bible says that God uses the foolish to shame the wise. If I were looking over the map of the earth and I were God, thank God I'm not God, but if I were, I would say, where would I start the ridiculous redemption movement of the church? I would pick Mississippi right in the middle. In the heart, no doubt, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've lived outside of Mississippi. I have. And, uh, man, it, it's like everybody in other parts of the country think that we're just all, you know, barefooted and toothless. And, I mean, it's just amazing. I I just I just always agree with them. I go, yeah, we are. Yeah, don't come here. Stay away. We like it. Yeah, it's good. So we need to close. Um, and um, I just, of course, got to let the pastor pray. Yeah. 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 Please let the holy man have Actually, Ben is now counselor coach Ben uh, in, in his transition. Uh, he's he's official now. <laughs> I just. The worst way to say that. I love that. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I would say I did. Uh, um, we've got a, two podcasts, actually, the Sex, God and Chaos podcast that's that's out uh, where we discuss a lot of this stuff and the chaotic nature of our world. Uh, another podcast, the Four Chair podcast, you can find both these on Spotify and mm. Apple that talk about the transformational process that God walks us through. We're three episodes in on that effort, just a way to kind of reach into your windshield time and continue this conversation check those out look for those they are going to be helpful um i do want to say as we wrap up we're for you i'm for you i believe in you there's no better man in your sphere of influence there's no better man for the job than you whatever life has thrown your way to convince you that you're disqualified i would invite jesus into that where jesus says repeatedly you are qualified and I'm with you. Remember that today, gentlemen. What you're walking into, especially after an experience like this, this intensely spiritual, this godly, mm -hmm. it won't be long today before the enemy moves into your story with a reminder that spikes your resentment that paralyzes you. That's what the enemy does. Watch out for that, okay? Can we agree on that? All right, mm -hmm. let's, let's pray together. We got to our, get to our lives. God, we thank you for this morning and... The things we've discussed, I appreciate with you, God, that we can be honest. It's never your desire for us to conceal. So I want to pray for these men. Slow this morning down just a moment. And ask God that we would be the men that go to war. 
in the time when kings go to war. God, I pray that we would do that today. I ask Jesus for your presence, your real full presence. And I want to pray over every man in this room that they would be change agents in their faith community. That they would be willing to be genuine and vulnerable and brave and courageous and submissive, not to the system, but to you. So we pray for your movement in our area, that churches will be transformed first because we are transformed. We submit our efforts for the rest of the day to you, Jesus. Whatever hell is headed our way, we pray that it will be met with your presence. Defend us, stand with us, be with us. Help us to be the men that you've created us to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.